So as I said, the intention today is to bring you two messages from the stories of the fall of Jericho and the rescue of Rahab. So turn with me to Joshua 2, Joshua 6. These are the passages we're looking at. I'm going to finish off the reading in Joshua 6, picking up in verse 15. We've had the spies have entered Jericho. Rahab has defected and joined the Lord's people. The Lord Jesus has given Joshua instructions on how to take down Jericho. And then we take this in Joshua 6 and from verse 15. It came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, uh, on that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you this city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot, shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's house, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Amen. Now, these chapters that we've read, Joshua 2, a little bit of 5, a little bit of 6, they're full of really interesting questions, aren't they? I'm sure many of you have been all tied up before now in, uh, in questions about the ethics of Rahab's lie. Should she have lied? Was it a lie? Is it good or bad? How can shouts topple bricks and mortar? That's a question I remember watching a TV show about when I was little. I don't remember how old I was, I just remember it was on the telly, and uh, you had all these scientists doing their best trying to work it out. They literally pointed megaphones at bricks to see if loud noises could crumble walls. 
Why is it that Jericho is completely cursed, everything in it, and yet all the silver and gold and the bronze and the iron will keep that? How is that? We'll talk about that one this evening. Who is the man in chapter 5 is another good one that people talk about. But what we're going to do this morning, God willing now, is to focus on two pictures that are given to us in chapters 2 and 6. Two pictures. Now, I don't know what the pictures are like in your house that we hang on the walls. Usually, they don't move. They're just still, just pictures. And they capture a moment in time, don't they? It's not like the gifts that you send on WhatsApp where they're all moving, just still, a moment in time. But these two pictures that we have in Joshua 2 and 6 aren't like that. These two pictures that we'll see this morning show us all of human history, not just a moment in time. So here's the first picture then, from Joshua 2 verse 9 and 6, 17, where Joshua said, The city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. The first picture is doomed. Doomed. When the story opens, you see, in Joshua, there's no question about it. There's no quibble. It's taken for granted that Jericho is completely doomed. They're about to be wiped out, obliterated. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we find that difficult to hear, don't we? People like us, we're not used to hearing things like that. It's hard for us to understand why this is happening. I mean, is that the normal answer that you'd expect to the quaint question, what would Jesus do to wipe out all of Jericho? Why would the Lord do this? Well, we're not going to get all tied up in an apologetic for the conquest this morning, but let me give you three very quick reasons that we'll carry with us. The first is that God is good. And because God is good, that means necessarily that God must be just. So if God is good, then he must be just. And if he is just, then he must punish sin. That's logical, makes sense. So the first reason that Jericho is doomed is that God is good. The second is that Jericho is not good at all. Jericho is brimming with evil. And I mean that. We're talking here about full-on necromancers, witches, child sacrifice, zero human rights, rife oppression, racism, tyranny, the lot. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 18. And that's on top of all of the wickedness that we've become used to in our own time. Make no mistake about it, all right? If Jericho existed today, we would not think twice about going to war against it. Listen to what is said in Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 to 5, where the Lord says to the, to the Lord's people, he says, Do not think in your heart after the Lord has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. It is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations. So God is good, 
Jericho is not good. And the third and the most important reason why Jericho is doomed, it's because Christ has come. John 5 says that the Father, God the Father, has committed all judgment to whom? Who has the Father given all judgment to? His Son, Jesus Christ. And here in Judges, in Joshua 5, Christ has come and he appears to Joshua and he reminds Joshua whose conquest this really is. I don't know about you, I think it's a little bit funny, their little interaction, don't you? The Lord appears to Joshua with a sword, dressed as a soldier. Joshua says, whose side are you on? Are you with me or are you with Jericho? Because he doesn't recognize who he's speaking to. And the Lord Jesus replies to Joshua something to the effect of, no, I'm not with you, you're with me. So those are the three reasons. God is good, Jericho is not good, and Christ has come. It is not Israel versus Jericho, it is Jesus Christ versus Jericho. After a long period of patience, he brings judgment on their sin, time is up. So that's what we're going to say about why Jericho is doomed. Now I know that many of us uh, get all tied in knots up uh, a little bit uh, by this sort of stuff and if you're still bothered about that you can speak to me or someone in the church and we can talk about it. But we'll leave it there for now and move on to the next little bit where I want to ask you, do you think this conquest was a surprise to Jericho? Or did they see it coming? Chapter 2, verses 8 to 13, revealed to us that Jericho had heard. They'd heard all about it. They knew this was coming. They heard that Christ was coming. They knew that they had a choice presented by his people. Repent of sin and find mercy and forgiveness. Or don't and find justice and judgment. So why is Jericho doomed? Because having heard the good news about Christ from his people, repent and be saved, they will not. They will not take Christ to be their king. They won't believe. They won't obey. They want to carry on in their evil ways that they've always known. It was deliberate. We said to the children a moment ago, didn't we, that the walls of Jericho fell down by faith in Hebrews 11. The next verse says that Rahab, by faith, did not perish along with all those who did not believe or did not obey. That's the bottom line to this, why Jericho is doomed. They did not believe. They would not repent and be saved. So that's your first picture then. It is a picture doomed, and it's not so much a picture of Jericho, but being a picture of all of human history, it's a picture of our world in every place and in every time. You see, because God is good and this world is not good, I think we can agree with that. Jesus, therefore, is coming with his angels to right every wrong with justice. And that's a good thing. Hard, but good. 
You see, every deed and every thought will be exposed and accounted for. Nothing will be left out. Now, like Jericho, you and I have heard the good news from Jesus' people. If we repent and surrender and call Jesus Lord, then instead of giving us what we deserve, he will bear his own punishment for us. That's the centerpiece of the Christian faith, the cross of Jesus Christ. The sin which condemns whole cities like Jericho and whole worlds like ours is put on Jesus Christ so that we, by faith in him, are forgiven, shown mercy, and much, much more than that, as we're going to see before the end. You see, for now, the Lord is being patient with us. He's being patient, and he's busy. He's preparing rewards for those of us who love him. But if we, like Jericho, choose and say we will not choose him, we will not believe in the Lord Jesus, we will not obey when he says repent and believe, then we are doomed. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans. He says this in chapter 2 and from verse 3. He says, Do you think, O man who practices evil, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and his patience, not knowing that the goodness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. And then he talks about that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So that's your first picture. It's not very cheery, I know. Doomed. Where the destruction of Jericho is a picture then of the destruction of our world. And if we'll only repent, then we shall be saved. So picture two is a bit more cheery. I think you'll be pleased to know. Picture two is called rescued. And we get this from Joshua 2, verse 11, with Rahab's confession of faith. And in chapter 6, verses 22 to 25, where Rahab is rescued out of the cursed Jericho. You see, Rahab had this enormous change of heart, didn't she? It's really quite remarkable that she defected and left behind all that she'd ever known in Jericho and joined these strangers who she'd never known before, outside the city wall. So how is it that she had such a change of heart? How does that happen? Was it something she ate? Chapter 2 says that it's because of what she had heard. What she'd heard. Take a look at chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 for me. We're going to look a bit more closely at these verses You see, our way of writing today is usually to trundle along in a sequence and put the most important stuff at the end, isn't it? Like a climax or a happy ending or something. I don't know what your favourite book is or your favourite movie. The end is always the most important bit, isn't it? Where you get the twist in the storyline or the tragedy or something like that. Well, the way they used to write in Rahab's day was more like a pyramid. They would climb up and up and up and up to the most important stuff at the top in the middle. And then they'd work back down the other side, repeating themselves. So let's look here at Joshua 2, verses 9 to 11, looking to find out why Rahab has had this change of heart. Verse 9 says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The Lord is the king of the earth. And then our hearts have become fearful. We've moved up a step. Up another step. Our hearts have fainted. 
And then we're at the top now in verse 10. Because we have heard about the Lord and all that he has done. Verse 11, we heard this. And then we'll work back down the other side of that pyramid. Our hearts, there they are again, they melted. And another step, we are fearful. And then back down to the bottom, the Lord is king of heaven and earth. You see, it's because of what Rahab had heard, that's the emphasis, that she had this change of heart. She had heard the gospel that Christ saves from the judgment of God on sin, and she believed it. She believed it was true, and she decided to throw herself in with Jesus Christ, his people, to know his mercy. The Apostle Paul, who we just heard from a moment ago, says this in Romans 10. Some of you will know where I'm going. This is a well-known little section here. He says here in verse 12, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on the Lord in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So hearing, very, very important. Rahab heard the gospel of Christ and she believed it. Now you see, like the rest of Jericho, she had been, what? Doomed. Completely doomed. Like the rest of Jericho, she one day heard about Christ and his people. But unlike the rest of Jericho, she believed. She believed. Now tell me, can something so life-shattering as that sort of change of heart, can that happen to somebody and nothing change? We have a positive and a negative change here in Rahab. On the positive side, she named Christ her king. She says, he is king of heaven and earth. And she joins his people. She's allied to him now. She turns, uh, she turns away to him. And she says, I want your God to be my God. We heard from Ambrose, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago? Well, this is what John Chrysostom says. He says, Rahab preached Christ in the brothel. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that amazing? On the negative side, you see, joining the people of God means turning her back on Jericho. In chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, she lies to what had been her own people. She chose Christ and said, he is the Lord. And that means repenting of her sin. It means abandoning her idols. It means changing her life. What happens next to Rahab then? Having had this change of heart, having repented and turned to him from Jericho. Well, when Christ abruptly ends Jericho in chapter 6, Rahab is spared. But more than that, she's rescued from Jericho. Verse 23, taken out. More than that, she's given a place now in Christ's family in verse 25. She's no longer distinguished from Israel. She's included in Israel. To quote the New Testament, we say that in Christ Jesus, she who was far off was made near by the blood of Christ. Do you know, she gets even more. Did you know that Rahab became a princess in the people of God? She married a man called Salmon, like the fish. And you read about him in Ruth 4. 
He was a prince in Israel. And do you know what? She gets even more. Rahab, by God's grace, became an ancestor of the Christ who saved her. She appears in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1. How's that for a turnaround then? It's better than rags to riches. We're talking doomed to rescued. Prostitute to princess. Have you ever heard a story like that? The Lord's enemy to his precious prize. You see, what Rahab was doing on this day is very, very similar to what Noah had done all those years before. Let me read these words to you. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, she'd heard, moved with godly fear, prepared a way for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So what are we going to call this a picture of then, this rescue of Rahab? What's it a picture of? This is a picture of countless sinners in our world and many of us who have gathered here this morning. See, we sinners are continuing in sin, blindly, ignorantly, just going on in sin. The same thing that condemns our world, it condemns our city, it condemns us. Do you sin against God in how you live a completely thankless life? Do you ever sin against other people in this world in how you fail to be kind, you might lie, you might cheat. Do you hate anyone? Ever? Have you ever gossiped? Or envied someone else? Are sinning against them? Or what about sinning against our world? We've become more sensitive to this in the later years, haven't we? Not looking after this beautiful place which our Father has given to us to live in. We're going on in sin, like Rahab was in Jericho. But you see, one day we hear the gospel. You've heard the gospel, haven't you? We hear about the Lord Jesus, who will deal with sin, either by judgment or by mercy. We hear that he is willing to go to the cross to take our sin on himself and bear the punishment that we have earned. We've heard that. We hear that he is willing and eager to rescue us. He is dying to forgive us. Any and all who will turn to him, he will save, he will rescue. We've heard it. Now what's more insane, please tell me, what is more insane than the fact that many of us, like Jericho, choose no. I will not believe it. I will not obey. I like my sin. Why don't you just let me be me? In so doing, we are choosing judgment rather than choosing mercy. But others of us, like many in here and in other churches all over Cardiff, Wales and the whole world, there's billions surely in heaven. Others of us turn around and on one side we believe, we take hold of Jesus Christ, we say he is Lord, we join his people. 
Then on the other, we turn our backs on this world. We say, I don't belong here anymore. I repent of my sin. I'm going to change my life by following Jesus Christ. And what happens next when we have had this change of heart, the very same change of heart that Rahab had, what happens? Well, as we sung a moment ago, when this world crumbles away to nothing, like Rahab, we will be spared. And more than that, we will be rescued out of that fire which consumes all of our evil injustice. And more than that, we're going to be placed into the city of God himself as our new home. And more than that, we who were rebels will become kings and priests to reign with Christ forever. And more than that, we become heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ Jesus. How's that for a turnaround? From doomed to rescued, sinner to saint, God's enemy to his precious prize. What we're talking about here this morning when we talk about Rahab and those of us who believe in Jesus being rescued, we're talking about this funny doctrine that we sometimes called union with Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of that? Have you heard that phrase, union with Christ? That's what we're talking about here. When, like Rahab, we are given to believe in Jesus, it's as if we're married to him. That's what it's like. We're choosing to leave behind the former life, the former parents, the former home, everything that was, we're leaving that behind, and we choose to be tied to him with loving vows, and not even death will part us. And when we are married to him, when we are united to Christ by faith, when we choose to have him as our king and call him Lord, we get all of his stuff, just like in marriage. You get his mercy, you get his forgiveness, you get his love, his home, his house, you get his father, you join his family, you get his glory and his reign and his riches, you get totally remade in his image. All because we heard that gospel of Jesus who would rather forgive than judge sinners. And we believe. So there you are then. There are your two pictures from Joshua 2 and 6. Doomed and rescued. And these two pictures, as we said in the beginning, they encompass for us all of human history. They stretch far into the past, to that very first sin, when that clock was first set ticking for Jesus' return in justice. And these two pictures of doomed and rescued stretch far into the future, when the Lord Jesus comes back and all evil will be done away with, completely destroyed in the perfect justice of God. They're pictures of many events, even in our own lifetimes, when Jesus Christ has just dripped a little bit of his justice into us and into our time and into our days. And they're pictures of our future when Jesus will bring the full and perfect judgment to pass. But just because they're two pictures that encompass all of human history, including the past and the future, that means that they include Today, even right now, 
Right now, we are in Jericho. And because God is good, and because this world is not good, Jesus is coming to judge those of us who will not call Jesus Lord, who insist on carrying on in the way we always have. And yet, at precisely the same time, while his judgment is hurtling towards us, his patience is already here. That's why Christians say, today is the day of salvation. You see, at the same time as his anger and his wrath and his justice is coming straight for us like a freight train, his mercy is already offered right now, and it has been for a long time, to any of us and all of us who will repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He will show mercy, and he will give us all the riches that we could ever imagine and more. Tell me, when did Christ die for sinners? The scriptures tell us that it was while we were still sinners. When we were not just sick, but dead in sin. When we were in the process, in the very act, red-handed, of what Paul calls storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of judgment. It was while we were hating God and loving sin and preferring judgment to mercy. It was then, at that point, that Jesus, the great and cosmic judge of the living and the dead, as we've confessed, of heaven and earth, gave up his life to die to save those of us sinners who will believe. What love that the great judge would die to save the guilty. You see, Rahab had heard about that Lord. And so she escaped from judgment. How? By hiding in his mercy. Now, I don't know what you do with pictures. I'm going to wind down with this. The pictures that you have in your house, are they all lying on the floor, leaning against the skirting board? You hang them up on nails, don't you? These two pictures hang on the nails that are in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is that cross which makes sense of everything that we've spoken about. How is it that the world is doomed? Why doesn't God just leave us alone? When you look at the cross, you see that God will not tolerate sin. He's too good for that. He will punish it, even when he finds it in his own spotless, sinless son. Well, if God is so harsh against sin, too pure than to even look at it, how can any sinners be rescued? When we look at the cross, we see that the same God who will not tolerate any sin is determined to save sinners. What end will he not go to to save sinners? He puts their guilt on Jesus, his son, his judge.
You see, we're all doomed. We're all in Jericho. And we've all heard the gospel that Jesus saves. So the only question left now is, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to do a Jericho? Are you going to carry on? Are you going to just shut the gates? And hope that your stubbornness is stronger than the wrath of God? Or are you going to do a Rahab? Are you going to do a Rahab? Confess that Jesus, not me, Jesus is Lord. And receive the forgiveness of all of your sin. Let me just read these words from Hebrews 2. And then we'll pray quickly together. And then we'll sing to close. Hebrews 2 verses 1 to 3 say, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed, that means listen, to the words that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and every disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have read and thought about your word for a little bit now, and uh, Lord, there are elements of it that are very hard to read and are frankly quite frightening. We have read, Father, that uh, we don't live in isolation from you, but that you see us and you see our sin and our city. You see our world and you see all of our history. And you can see, Father, how spoiled it is, how determined we are to live in this way, which is apart from Christ, standing on our own and loving all the things that we ought not to love. And Lord, we ought to be frightened and fearful and our hearts should melt and we realize and understand that you are too good to let this go unpunished and undealt with. But Father, we have also read about the marvelous mercy and salvation that is on offer in Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, that you should incline our hearts towards him. Lord, that you should put in us that desire to know him who would die to save us. That you should so stir up our hearts as to weep over our own sin and to turn to Jesus Christ for full and free forgiveness. Oh Lord, we pray that you should cause us to love him, that we would call him our King and our Lord. Teach us to hate the places that we have come from and the things that we are involved with, that we should sooner have Christ and in him have our all in all. Father, those of us who know you, we look forward to seeing what you have made of Rahab, that prostitute. And Lord, we shall surely be stunned when we see ourselves in the glory that you have prepared for us sinners who have put our faith in you. We ask that you should give this to us and to our friends for Jesus' sake. Amen.